It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hello, listening friends. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? From Sunday, October 8th through Thursday, October 10th, 1871, America experienced the worst wildfires in its history. Weathered conditions across the entire Midwest region during the summer and the fall of 1871 produced very hot and dry conditions. On October 8, terrible wildfires suddenly broke out across Michigan, Wisconsin, and Illinois. Holland, Port Huron, and Manistee, Michigan saw significant damage and loss of life. The most destructive fire occurred in and around Peshtigo, Wisconsin, scorching nearly 2 million acres and claiming 2,000 lives. Very few people are aware of these fires because they occurred on the same day as a much more famous blaze that filled the newspapers. On October 8th, the Great Chicago Fire claimed about 300 lives while destroying over three square miles of the city, including more than 17,000 buildings. No, it was not caused by Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicking over a lantern. A reporter later admitted to fabricating this story. The actual cause of the fire was never determined. When it was over, in 1871, those fires in the upper Midwest took nearly 3,000 lives and destroyed over 3.8 million acres. No one is exactly sure what caused all of these fires to break out on that same day. One theory is that the fires were caused by meteorites or a comet from the sky. You know, the Bible talks about fire falling from heaven in the last days. Stay with us, friends. We're going to learn more on this edition of Bible Answers Live. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions. Hello, listening friends. Welcome to Bible Answers Live. And as you can tell from the title, we do our best to answer your live Bible questions. You can call them in 800-463-7297, an acronym to help you remember that. It's 800-GOD-SAYS. That translates to 800-463-7297. Not only can you call in with your Bible questions, but if you want to watch the broadcast from our studios here outside of Sacramento, California, it's a suburb called Granite Bay. You just look at the Doug Bachelor or the Amazing Facts Facebook page, and you'll see us streaming the program there. My name is Doug Bachelor. My name is John Ross. Good evening, listening friends and our friends joining us on Facebook. Welcome to Bible Answers Live. And as we always do, let's start the program with prayer. Dear Father, once again, we are grateful that we do have this opportunity to open up your word and study, not only with those that's in our state or our city, but really literally across the country and even in different countries. And so, Lord, we ask for your blessing on our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Doug, you open up talking about uh, some incredible wildfires and um, 
You're talking about wildfires that were burning back in the 1800s. But, of course, it's kind of interesting. On our way to the studio this evening, uh, the air is so thick here in California with smoke. The sun has this this orange haze, and uh, it's just unbelievable. You saw that. Yeah, you can look directly at the sun. Right. Because it's filtered so much by the smoke. And for our friends across North America, you probably have heard about the tremendous, terrible fires that are going through California, Oregon, Washington, I think even some in Idaho. And um, I use this particular amazing fact because right now we're on the verge of breaking the record this year for the, the worst wildfires in the history of America. In fact, the worst wildfire in California's history was two years ago in the Mendocino National Forest, the southern part. Now the biggest fire in California history is the northern part of the Mendocino National Forest, not very far from our home up there. We have a, a home that uh, our family's had for about 40 years. And, um, yeah, it's it's burned right now over 700,000 acres. And there are over 3.3 million acres that have burned. And, of course, the record was 3.8 million. Now, the loss of life back then in, in 1871 was just terrible, 3,000. Uh, I got stuck. You know, you didn't know the story. Three weeks ago when these fires began, I was literally up in those hills when the lightning strikes happened, or shortly after, and um, got stuck by myself driving around at night. It was surrounded by fire and uh, had lightning strikes on the, the road behind me that I had come from, and I couldn't go back, and I ended up having to go south another way. So uh, it's pretty frightening. I was thinking, you can't help but think about all those people that have a misconception about the punishment of the wicked. Now, people think as soon as a lost person dies, he goes to a place down in the earth somewhere, a cavern, that the devil's, you know, talks about down in hell. And they think the devil's down there with a pitchfork and he's, he's cooking people. But it's not exactly what the Bible says. A couple of misconceptions. One is hell is not down in the earth somewhere. It says in Revelation 20, God rains fire down upon the earth and it forms a lake of fire. And the other thing is it's not burning yet because Jesus said that they are being reserved for judgment of the, the uh, great day. And, uh, and then the duration, people misunderstand that as well. And so the idea, you know, the Bible does say that, uh, you know, people are going to be punished according to what they deserve. But the idea that in 60 billion years they've only begun to burn is kind of a horrific thought. It's not biblical. If you'd like to know <laughs> the good news about hell, I know that sounds like a, an oxymoron, we have a free offer. So many people have been turned away from God because they, they think God is a sadist who's going to burn people forever and ever and ever for the sins of a brief lifetime. There is a hell. Some people say there is no hell. There's no lake of fire. That is not true. Uh, but there's some misunderstandings out there. And we have a free offer to clear that up. We have a study guide that's called, Is the Devil in Charge of Hell? And we'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. It's free as part of our Amazing Facts Bible Study Series. Just call and ask. The number to call is 800-835-6747. That is our resource phone line. And ask for the study guide, Is the Devil in Charge of Hell? And we'll send it to anyone here in North America. If you're outside of North America, we want to encourage you to take a look at a website that Amazing Facts has that deals with the subject. It's called helltruth.com. Just simply helltruth.com. There's a lot of information there. 
And uh, as Pastor Doug mentioned, uh, yes, it's hell is real, but there's good news. God is a God of mercy, and you can even see God's mercy displayed in the subject of hell and the destruction of the wicked. So we encourage you to take a look at that. We're going to go to our first caller this evening. We got a caller from Brazil. Marwan is calling from Sao Paulo. Marwan, welcome to the program. Uh, good evening, pastors. It's a pleasure to good evening to talk with you. Uh, my my question is about uh, well, in the future there are many many that believe that we have some dominical decree, and uh, for instance, Christians could be penalized if if they don't follow that. For instance, government could establish dominical rule, some dominical rule that if Christians don't don't obey. It will, they will be penalized. And my question regarding that is, is there any biblical text chapter that mentions that more clearly that that will happen in the future? Yes. Yeah, and I think another way I might say that is, um, you know, are there scriptures in the Bible that tell us in the last days that the governments are going to make religious laws that will tell Christians what they can and can't believe? Well, we're already seeing some of that right now. There are states and places in the world where you cannot preach what the Bible says about a marriage because they'll be saying, well, that's being insensitive or it's hate speech. And, um, and of course, you read in Revelation, it says those that do not worship the image of the beast cannot buy or sell. And ultimately, there'll be a death decree. And so uh, just like you find, and that would be in Revelation 13, and then you can read in the book of Daniel, chapter 3 and Daniel, chapter 6, the government made laws telling them how to worship. And that is going to happen again, according to the Bible prophecies in the last days. You can read, what is it, Second Thessalonians, Pastor Ross, where it says that wicked one will sit in the temple of God showing himself that he is God, uh, ostensibly because he wants to be worshipped as God. And um, this is one of the characteristics of the beast power. Second Thessalonians chapter two verse four. That's right. Second Thessalonians printer. chapter two verse four. So to answer your question, Maron, yes, there is, uh, there are examples in the Bible of scriptures that say in the last days governments are going to make uh, dominico decrees or religious laws. Is I think what you're asking. We do have a study guide that deals with the subject, and it's called the Mark of the Beast. Of course, Revelation talks about the Mark of the Beast. We'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. That number again is 800-835-6747. You can ask for one of the Amazing Facts study guides called The Mark of the Beast. We've got Michael listening in Ohio. Michael, welcome to the program. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, loud and clear. Okay, uh, God, uh, God bless both of you and your ministries. I had a long, exhausted conversation today with uh, some gentlemen about hell, and they're under the impression that we don't believe in hell. And I exhausted everything that I knew, and it was beyond reasoning with this individual. So how would I, for the next time, explain that, that we do believe in hell? Well, we believe what the Bible says, and we being Christians. And of course, the Bible tells us in uh, Revelation chapter 20 that the devil and his forces surround the New Jerusalem. And God rains fire down out of heaven upon them. And it says it consumes them. So ultimately they are burned. Uh, you can read in Malachi chapter four, behold, the day comes that will burn as an oven and all the proud and all that do wickedly will be stubble. The day that comes will burn them up. 
uh, Jesus speaks of hellfire. And um, he, he says, and I think it's in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, do not fear him who can destroy the body, but rather fear him who can destroy the soul in hellfire. So there has to be a hellfire, but it tells us in hellfire, ultimately body and soul are consumed, destroyed, burnt up. That's Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 that you're referring to there. You know, the study guide that we mentioned a little earlier, it's called Is the Devil in Charge of Hell, deals with the subject. Mm -hmm. And again, the website also, helltruth.com. You might want to take a look at that, Michael. There's some great verses there and I might find it helpful. What does the Bible say on this subject? You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. The Bible tells us that salvation, of course, emanates from God. So we need to know something about God to rightly understand and embrace salvation. Yet in the church today, there's a great deal of confusion about the nature of God. The Bible says God is one God, but is he three persons? Is Jesus also eternal God? Because Jesus is the Son of God, does that mean there was a time when he did not exist or he was brought into existence? Is the Holy Spirit a person or is he just the force and the energy that God uses to communicate? You know, I thought this was so important, I really felt led of the Lord to write a book on the subject called Exploring the Trinity, One God or Three. In this book, we answer those very important questions. We talk about the history of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, as well as the history of the Holy Spirit in the church and how it has been much debated. This is something we really need to understand because Jesus said eternal life comes from knowing God. Next caller that we have is George, listening from uh, New Jersey. George, welcome to the program. Uh, good evening, pastors. How you doing tonight? My question is on Luke 17, verses 34 to 37. That uh, same type of uh, message is in Matthew as well, right. as you probably are aware of, 24, somewhere around there. Yeah. But uh, it's always confusing about who is taken and who is left, especially the part that says, where, Lord? And he says, where the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. It looks like he's saying that those taken are taken to destruction and what's left of the Christians. But I read something recently, and I'll see how you uh, feel about this, where it said the eagles might be symbolic of God's people and that where the body is, I don't know what that refers to, maybe Jesus, there are the eagles. So how do you interpret that with that where Lord question, which is only in Luke, it's not in Matthew, okay? Right. And, and of course, very quickly in Luke, when it says you've got three examples, Matthew has two examples. Luke says two men in one bed, one is taken, the other left. Two men working in the field, one is taken, one is left. And two women grinding at the mill, one is taken, one is left. That represents uh, two kinds of people are asleep. They're in a bed. You've got the dead in Christ are sleeping. It says they will awake, one to life, one to death, two kinds. You've got the resurrection of the just and the unjust. Two women. Revelation says there's two women, the true church, false church. One is, they're both grinding grain. They're working with the word. One is true, one is false. And then you've got two men working in the field. Jesus says the field is the world. They're out sowing and harvesting the seed. You've got the true and the false missionary messages. So those are very broad symbols that Jesus is using. And they said, you know, one is taken, and the disciples say, where? As like, you know, where are they taken? Now, in the Jewish mind, whenever the children of Israel disobeyed, 
They were conquered and carried away. Uh, they were taken. Nebuchadnezzar came and took them away off to Babylon. And um, when the children of Israel were good, they got to remain in the land and they were blessed. The Bible tells us about Noah and his family. Uh, they were saved, but the wicked, the flood came and took them away. They were taken away in judgment. So, um, you know, it is a difficult verse, and I've heard good arguments on the other side, but I'm of the inclination that it's saying that the ones who survive are the ones who are left, not the ones who are taken. And then when the the verse there we're talking about the, where the body is, I think there's a there's a reference to that you find in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, where it says, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to the birds of the heavens, Right. Come gather together to the supper of the great God that you might eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains. Then it goes on to talk about the destruction that occurs of the wicked. And symbolically, it's described as these birds, these vultures gathering together. It comes from the the idea of uh, ancient war, where an army that was conquered, their dead were often left on the battlefield and became food for the wild beasts and the birds. Yeah, that's exactly what Goliath threatened David with. Right. He said, I'm going to kill you and feed you to the beasts. And so that would pretty well answer the question, George, about someone who said the eagles really are a symbol of Christianity or something. And it's a it's a symbol of judgment. They were unclean birds in the Bible. But uh, thank you. Appreciate your question. All right. We've got uh, Chris listening from Florida. Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you, pastors, again, for taking my call. Uh, my question is uh, from Gospel of, of John. The question is, uh, somewhere in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus says that uh, God the Father is greater than He. Yet, we know that uh, Jesus is equal to the Father, right? Yes. So my question is, uh, when it happens in, in, in uh, chapter 5, verse 1 through 24, when Jesus healed the man, on the Sabbath day, and then he argued that the, the Pharisees argued with him, and and he says that he does only the will of the Father, and that the, the Father is greater than he, right? Yes, that's what he said, something like that. Yeah, I I have no problem with that. You know, he says, you know, my Father works and I work too. Uh, Jesus recognized the authority of the Father. Uh, as above his authority all through his earthly ministry. Now, keep in mind, you have two things happening here. One, it does seem like there are different roles between the Father, Son, and Spirit. That doesn't mean they're not uh, co-equal. Uh, Jesus is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And uh, and he's eternal uh, as the Father. But when he came to earth, and I think it's in Philippians uh, 4, Pastor Ross, where it says he made himself of no reputation, but humbled himself even to the point of the cross. And so Christ on earth, especially he, you know, he was in human form. He laid aside to a great extent his divinity and um, so that he could bear our sins. So, yeah, I believe Jesus is saying that he was subject to the authority of the Father, but it doesn't make him less God. That's uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 is the verse you're referring to there. Yeah. So thank you. You know, we do have a book that talks about the Trinity, and I address the, the distinctions in roles that you see in the Bible between the Father, Son, and Spirit. And it's called uh, One God or Three, the Trinity. We'll be happy to send that to anyone who calls and asks. You can ask for the book on the Trinity. The number to call is 800-835-6747. 800-835-6747. Ask for the book on the Trinity.
We've got uh, Mike listening from St. Louis, Missouri. Mike, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you pastors doing tonight? We're doing good. It's a little smoky out here, but otherwise we're doing good. Hey, I, I watch you on TV all the time, uh, Pastor uh, uh, Bachelor. I, I, was, I watch you constantly, but uh, you're on Channel 25 here in, in the city of St. Louis. Well, thank you. But anyway, here's my question. I got to sit up. I, I didn't think you guys would call me this quick. Okay. <laughs> you got your question oh, already? No. Yes, I do. I wrote it down. To, um, here's my question. Did Jesus Christ... I can't get my glasses on, but anyway. Did Jesus Christ's hair turn white and he died of shock? And I have two uh, Bible verses that I used for asking that question. One was Mark chapter 15, verse 44, and it said Pilate marveled that Jesus Christ was already dead. And then I have a second one, Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. And, of course, we know that... uh, only the Apostle John was actually there present at the crucifixion. Right. And it says that Jesus' hair was white and his eyes were red, which is the same as saying they could have been bloodshot. So I'm saying that he actually died of shock on the cross and his hair turned white. Yeah, you know, that's a new one for me. Um, when you read in Revelation chapter 1, and it's describing Christ in glory, the white is a symbol for purity. I don't think it's that he was died from shock. And when it says his eyes were like a flame of fire, that means a light was coming out of his eyes. Instead of, you know, most of us, we take light into our eyes. Light actually was coming out of his eyes. So picture you're looking at a man and his eyes are like the arc, an arc welder. I used to weld. And every now and then I'd forget to put my hood down before I'd start welding. <laughs> and I'd be looking right at the spark when it happened. Boy, it'll blind you in a hurry. And I think the eyes of Christ... You know, just the light coming out. And so, no, I don't think it's saying his hair turned white during the cross. His heart was broken. He did perspire blood. And it talks about that, you know, he evidently died of a broken heart because I've heard that's one reason that the water and the blood would separate when they pierced his side and two distinct streams came out. So, um, you know, he died from a broken heart and increased a terrible anguish. But uh, no, no record really that his hair turned white. You got anything on that, Pastor Ross? Yeah, I think, of course, Revelation is a symbolic book, and uh, we have a number of references there. For example, that same chapter says there's a sharp two-edged sword that comes out of the mouth of Christ. So it's symbolic, and as you mentioned, white represents purity. Uh, But yeah, it is true. Jesus died a lot quicker than most people who were crucified. Uh, The two thieves, they weren't dead. They had to have their legs broken. So Jesus did die from an overwhelming sense of separation from the Father. And as you said, he died from a broken heart, as some people mentioned. Yeah, and one more thought on that, Mike, that I think will answer this for you. Revelation chapter 1 is also quoting from Daniel 7. When Daniel sees Jesus prior to his incarnation, it says the hair of his head was like pure wool. And it says his throne was like a fiery flame. So this is, uh, this is before Christ died on the cross in Daniel chapter 7. That's verse 9. So um, I guess that first picture is actually of the father, but um, I think the father and son, same thing, the white hair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Represents power. Thanks for your call, Mike. We've got, uh, let's see, Samuel listening in Wisconsin. Samuel, welcome to the program. Peace be with you, pastors. Thanks for calling. I have an observation, Pastor Doug. You know, you say you get so excited when you see how precisely our, our, our Lord works uh-huh. with his precision. 
And the tragedy we had here in Kenosha, Wisconsin, with the riots and the death and destruction, I saw a sign on a store during, after the riots. It said, no Jesus, no peace, meant N-O. Right. Below that was, no Jesus, K-N-O-W, no peace, K-N-O-W. Right. I'll point it in those two phrases. And my question to you was, gentlemen, is there anything in the Bible that says when Damascus is no more, getting near the end of prophecy? There are, and we may have to take a minute and look that up. There are several uh, prophecies about Damascus. And at one time, Damascus was, you know, uh, a leading empire fighting against uh, Israel. Of course, they're still in opposition to Israel today. Here we are 3,000 years later. But Damascus is a very old city. Uh, Naaman the Syrian was from Damascus. And I'm trying to remember if it's the prophet... um, is it um, Naaman that talks about the fall? Nahum talks about the fall of Damascus. Anyway. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And, of course, they did serve as one of the enemies. Uh, the Assyrians did conquer the ten tribes of northern Israel. And Damascus is described as judgment coming upon the ancient city. But uh, the city has had different rulers over different time periods. Yeah, it's, uh, there's a prophecy in Jeremiah 49 against Damascus, Hamath and Arphad are shame for they have bad news. They're faint-hearted. There is trouble on the sea. Damascus has grown feeble. She turns to flee. And so, and then uh, I'll kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus and it will consume the palaces of Ben-Hadad. All that happens. And Ezekiel, I'm reading on here, he goes on to prophesy the fall of Damascus. Now, this is Damascus when it was led as the Assyrian Empire. You know, it fell many years ago, and it was judged. I think Damascus was conquered by the um, the, the uh, Persians and the Greeks and, uh, and the Romans. So they were, yeah, they were conquered uh, many times uh, from the Bible time. I don't know of any prophecy that says when Damascus falls, the prophecy will end or it will be over. So... Anyway, there, I, I'm looking, and there's 60 prophecies about Damascus, or 60 verses, rather, so probably don't have time to go through them all right now, but hope that helps a little bit. Thank you, Samuel. Well, Pastor Dick, I'm looking at the clock. We have about one minute before the break comes, and might be good for us to, uh, instead of taking another call, we're not done. We're going to be coming back after the break. We just didn't want to cut anybody short. You can also check out the Amazing Facts website. We've got so much more material and our free literature there. We'll be back with more Bible questions shortly. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. Would you like to know God's plan for our troubled world and solutions for your life's challenges? Beautifully redesigned and updated, Amazing Facts 27 Bible Study Guides provide straightforward Bible-based answers that are enlightening, encouraging, and easy to understand, giving you real, relevant Bible answers to questions like, how can I have healthier relationships? When will Jesus come? And much more. Order yours today by visiting afbookstore.com or by calling 800-538-7275. Find out what the critics are raving about. Top scholars and theologians from around the country come together to reveal the hidden history of the book of Revelation. With powerful reenactments and incredible visual effects, this 95-minute masterpiece brings to life the book of Revelation like never before. Revelation is no longer a mystery. Get your copy today. 
Visit iTunes or AFBookstore.com. The Bible tells us that salvation, of course, emanates from God. So we need to know something about God to rightly understand and embrace salvation. Yet in the church today, there's a great deal of confusion about the nature of God. The Bible says God is one God, but is he three persons? Is Jesus also eternal God? Because Jesus is the Son of God, does that mean there was a time when he did not exist or he was brought into existence? Is the Holy Spirit a person? Or is he just the force and the energy that God uses to communicate? You know, I thought this was so important, I really felt led of the Lord to write a book on the subject called Exploring the Trinity, One God or Three. In this book, we answer those very important questions. We talk about the history of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, as well as the history of the Holy Spirit in the church and how it has been much debated. This is something we really need to understand because Jesus said eternal life comes from knowing God. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Welcome back, listening friends. And for those who joined us in route, this is Bible Answers Live. You can call in with your Bible questions anywhere you're hearing our voice. You can either do that uh, online, regular telephone. You can try and send in your Bible questions. Yeah, that's what we love to do, answer Bible questions. We're also streaming on Facebook. Some people actually want to see and listen. You're the audio-visual people. And you go to the Doug Batchelor Facebook page or the Amazing Facts Facebook page, and you'll see our humble little studio. You know, you're going to notice in a few weeks the Bible Answers Live set is changing. On the other side of the wall, from where we're sitting right now, we're finishing out the new Amazing Facts Studios. We'll be moving into a bigger studio that will even accommodate guests that may join us for the program at that time. But I've been rambling, Pastor Ross. Let's get back to our phones. All right. We've got Patrick listening from Granite Bay. Patrick, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you for taking my call, Pastor Doug. been watching your show since you first started. Well, then you're old. <laughs> So, 58 years old. Okay. And your question, Patrick? My question right now with everything that's going on with the unrest would be the book of Revelation. And there are so many, but I could pick out so many that I would I would ask you questions on. I could just go to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 14. Okay. We'll take a look real quick. And let me read this then, if that's all right. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one except himself, that, I'm sorry, a name written that no one knew except himself, and he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven clothed in fire, in fine and white, uh, 
uh, fine linen, uh, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. I think that covered the verses you were asking about. But um, yeah, so this is a picture. You know, in the previous chapters, you've got Babylon is warring against God's people. Then you've got Babylon falling, and then you have Christ coming. He's pictured as the Word of God, and he's coming as King of Kings, basically, to uh, judge the wicked and to redeem the saved. And so this is, I think, a portrait of how his Word ultimately is victorious. I agree. I thank you, thank you. Just looking at everything that's going on throughout you know, the world right now, that has captured me. Mm-hmm. And reading the Bible and then looking at everything, I just was reaching out and asking how you read that. And that's how, that's how I'm seeing things through my eyes. And Yeah, absolutely. There's a, um, there's a story in the Bible that illustrates what you see in this verse. And it talks in chapter 12 of Acts. Herod is making war on the church, King Herod. And he kills James, he imprisons Peter, and Peter's rescued from prison, and Herod dies at the end of the chapter. And it says, but the word of God prospered. And so it starts with great persecution. It ends with the word being victorious, which is what you see in Revelation. God's people go through trials, but the word of God triumphs in the end. Good question. Thank you, Patrick. Well, we've got uh, William listening from Michigan. William, welcome to the program. Hello, sirs. How are you? Great. Thank you for calling. Thank you for having me. Okay, my question has to do with when Jesus went to the city of Sychar, I believe it is, and he encountered the Samaritan woman. Yeah. And she referenced to him, uh, sir, you being a Jew, why do you ask me, a Samaritan woman, to get you some water? And my question is, how did she know that he was a Jew? Um, Did they have uh, dressing designations or what have you? Did Samaritans dress different from the Jews or what have you? I don't I just was wondering. That's a very good question. I, I read that and I wondered the same thing. She said, how are you? Because I hadn't spoken yet. Why would you, a Jew, speak to me, a woman of Samaria? Well, you know, uh, the Samaritans were uh, part, and they go back to the time when the Assyrians kind of repopulated the northern part of Israel with some uh, of their people. So the Samaritans, they looked a little different. They were uh, uh, Semites, you know. The Jews are uh, Semites. The, that's where you, you know, if someone is anti-Semite, it means the uh, Jews are descendants from Shem, and they were called Semites. So the Assyrians were also Semites, but but there were differences in the way they looked. There were differences in their language. They had different accents. They spoke a different language. And so, you know, the, the people in Israel in the time of Christ, they all understood Aramaic. They could talk to each other, but there was a, a big difference. I've got friends that are from Australia, and we kind of look similar, And but I can tell pretty quick they're from Australia or England, or like Pastor Ross, South Africa. And um, and their clothing was different, so you're right about that. They So she, you know, there was obvious differences, and uh, uh, there may have been something different about the way Jesus dressed. Some think that, you know, he may have worn some of the garments of a rabbi, where they had uh, fringes of blue, and um, she, you know, recognized him for that as well. But yeah, she evidently knew right off he was not a Samaritan. She knew he was a Jew. Good good question. All right, next caller that we have is Henry listening from New York. Henry, welcome to the program. Uh, yes. 
My question, I have two questions, but they're very short. I want to know how long did it take in order to build that ark, and what language, what language did, did the Romans speak? Okay, very good. How long did it take Noah to build the ark? When Noah first gets his uh, invitation to build the ark, I think it's in the last part of Genesis 6, and God said, my spirit will not strive with man. His days will be 120 years. And so we believe that God gave them 120 years of mercy, which is basically the same as the lifespan of Moses. It's divided by three forties. And um, then you asked, what language did the Romans speak like Julius Caesar? Well, they spoke Latin. And that was, of course, you know, the earlier primitive Latin. And uh, today we've got many Latin-based languages. English is a Latin-based language. As Spanish is probably closer to it than Italian. But um, yeah, they spoke uh, Latin. And many of the early church fathers all read and wrote and spoke in Latin. And uh, another language that was fairly common in the time of Christ was amongst the Roman Empire was also Greek. It was sort of the language of writing, uh, the language of education, and that had come through from the Greek Empire and, and had been adopted by the Romans. They say when Alexander the Great traveled, he took two armies. He took one army for fighting, and he took another army of scientists, linguists, botanists, and um, uh, writers and teachers. So when they'd conquer people, they would then introduce, they call it Hellenization. They'd introduce the Greek culture. They thought everybody, it was superior and everyone should understand the Greek culture. And so, yeah, it was a universal writing method. So I'm sure even Julius Caesar spoke some Greek. We've got uh, Casey listening in Sacramento. Casey, welcome to the program. Good evening. Evening. And your question. I am so humbled to finally meet you in person. I've been following you for some years. And I have a question. I am a humble student of the Word. I am nowhere close to a pastor or anything of the sort. I, I feel my Word needs to be fixed. So as I study, I come across a very simple Exodus 20. And I am such a student that I would prefer you to read because I wouldn't do a, a, as good a job as you. The simple verse of our Sabbath day practice and what the Lord expects because I'm confused when I had a discussion about... Well, let me read. So I'll read Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. Is that what you want, the Sabbath commandment? Yes, sir. Right. Yes, sir. Help me. Yes, sir. Okay. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your cattle, or the stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And so your question is, Casey, are you wondering what is work? Yes, because it, it, it led to so many disagreements as everybody wanted to follow work differently. Yes, yeah, so that's a great question. How do you define work? What is the work that we're not supposed to do? Yes, sir. So as a beginner, I, I had to ask all of the followers, what is that definition then? So in a concordance, we looked it up, and it says ministry. The, the word work there in the Sabbath, when it says you shall not do any work, it's not saying don't do any ministry, because in um, all th shortly after it, Exodus uh, gives the Ten Commandments, they built the sanctuary and God instructed their Levites did plenty of ministry on the Sabbath day. They were still offering sacrifices and, and doing ministry on the Sabbath. So the word work there, it's talking about if you are a farmer, you don't plow, you don't 
harvest on the Sabbath day. You're a carpenter like Jesus. You never see him in the carpenter shop. There was no sin in his healing people or teaching people on the Sabbath day. So those kind of works of ministry are fine. But it's the kind of regular work a person might do that is income producing. Now, of course, if you're in the medical field, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing emergency labor of healing people uh, on the Sabbath day. But the regular work, you know, the office work that people do, uh, that should be laid aside. It's a time for uh, worshiping God. And, um, you know, I've got a book we can send you a free copy, and it's called How to Keep the Sabbath Holy. If you like that, Casey. The number to call is just 800-835-6747. And again, just ask for the book, How to Keep the Sabbath Holy. We'll be happy to send this to you, Casey, or anybody that's listening. Just call and ask for that. It's 800-835-6747. Ask for the book, How to Keep the Sabbath Holy. Thanks for your call. Our next call is uh, Olga listening in uh, Pennsylvania. Olga, welcome to the program. Thank you. Blessings. Thanks for calling. And your question. Yes, I was um, listening to one of the YouTube uh, Christian programs, and this has to do with Revelation 7 and the four angels that are holding the four winds uh, of the word uh-huh. of the world, the, the four corners of the world. And this person said that those four angels were demons, but I, I thought they were re, uh, God angels. So that's my question. So are they demons or are they God's angels? Well, I think they're good angels because they're holding back the bad. If they were bad angels, they, God would, <laughs> God would uh, probably not put them in charge of that. I think these are angels, you know, it's like they're guardian angels holding back the, the bad things that demons want to do on the earth. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think that uh, the Bible says the angel of the Lord encamps round about those that fear him. And these are angels that are like surrounding the world, north, south, east, and west, holding back winds of strife and storms and tribulation. Well, you got any thoughts on that, Pastor Ross? Yeah, and if you look at the rest of the verse, it says an angel comes, clearly an angel from heaven, because he has the seal of the living God. And he says to the angels that are holding back the four winds of strife, don't let them go till we've sealed the servants of God. So here you have the angels working together. Yeah. It would have to be a good angel or good angels holding back those winds of strife. Good angels are cooperating to get all of God's people sealed. That's a good point. Thanks for your call, Olga. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. We've got uh, Eva listening in Georgia, or Evan. Evan, welcome to the program. Or Evan. Evan, sorry. (laughs) You there? Hey, how you doing, Pastor? There it is. Hey, Evan. (laughs) Um, so I'll try to keep this brief, but I have, um, a friend and she and I have been having discussions about the stay of the dead and I've been using the amazing facts resources to understand it better. But one of the things that uh, she brought up came from uh, second Corinthians chapter 12 verses one through six. Okay. And I've, I've read over this several times and I still can't get a full understanding of what exactly it's talking about. And I, she's, I believe she is honing in on verse four. Um, but overall, I don't have a good grasp of these verses, and I would just like if sure. um, if you could provide some clarity on it. Yeah, let me read this for us real quick, and that's Second uh, Corinthians 12. I'll read verses 1 through 4. 
It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I'll come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I don't know or out of the body I don't know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And, and I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, this is, many scholars believe Paul is saying, I had an experience, I don't want to boast, but I've actually been caught up to the third heaven, meaning the presence of God. Uh, you know, the Jews had three terms for heaven. The first heaven is the air around the planet. The second heaven is the solar system where the stars hang, you know, the space and sun, moon, and stars. Third heaven is the dwelling place of God, and they call that paradise. And so, um, you know, that's why Jesus told the thief on the cross, I'm telling you today, you will be with me in paradise, meaning up in heaven with the Father. And, of course, Christ wasn't in paradise that day because you read in John chapter 21, he told Mary, do not cling to me. I've not yet ascended to my father. So Paul could be referring to himself or he's referring to another apostle or prophet that had a vision where he didn't know whether it was in the spirit or bodily, but he was brought into the presence of God. You know, in Revelation chapter four, John says, I was caught up in the spirit. And so John was taken to heaven also to third heaven. He saw these things, but he, he makes it clear. Now, John wrote this after Paul. So Paul, if he had talked to John, John would have said, yeah, I wasn't in the body. I was in the spirit. So, uh, but they saw heaven. And uh, so I don't know what your your uh, girlfriend you're studying with. I'm not sure what her struggle is with these verses. I believe it's, uh, uh, she focuses mainly on, on the separation of body and spirit. Um, how your spirit, you know, once you die that your spirit will then go to heaven but your body will rest here on earth and then once jesus coming or once there's jesus second coming then your body and your spirit will be reunited uh, well when god takes a person into vision they're still alive he can in their mind take them off into vision that's completely different from when a person dies a piece of them jumping out and going around being conscious uh indefinitely until the you know second coming uh, the Bible tells us that uh, the soul that sins, it will die. And uh, tells us in the resurrection, all the souls of those who slept, it will come forth. And so, yeah, the, it's pretty clear that people are sleeping a dreamless sleep. Now, you know what confuses people, Evan, and, and this may help a little bit, is there's that verse where it says, absent from the body present with the Lord. And I think that's Second Corinthians too. I'm not. I forget sometimes. I'm getting old, friends. But um, Paul is basically saying that when a person dies and they're saved, their next conscious thought is the resurrection. For them, it's instantaneous. It's a moment, the twinkling of an eye. If your body dies, next time you're resurrected, it'll seem like a moment for you. You have no consciousness of time. So. But the idea that spirits go off, disembodied spirits, and float around, the Bible doesn't teach that. And proof of that would be there are 12 resurrections in the Bible, of people who came back from the dead. Not one of them ever mentioned being conscious in death. No, no experience that they said that they had in death. The verse you're referring to is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. It talks about being absent of the bodies to be present with the Lord, which, as you mentioned, is the second coming and the resurrection. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we do have a study guide called Are the Dead Really Dead? And it deals with the subject of what happens when a person dies. And we'll send this out, of course, for free to anybody who asks. Uh, the number to call for that is 800-835-6747. And ask for the study guide, Are the Dead Really Dead? Uh, we've got uh, Deborah listening in Eugene, Oregon. Deborah, welcome to the program. Thank you. So my question is, if Adam and Eve were in the garden for an untold number of years before Satan was cast out of heaven and was allowed to go into the garden and take dominion over the tree and tempt them, what was that timeline? Well, probably Satan was cast out of heaven before the earth was created. Um, it, it seems to be that uh, God actually made this world and the creatures on it uh, who could procreate in, in their own image. Uh, we were made in the image of God. And, um, you know, man was a, a very much more powerful, glorious being prior to sin. We've kind of degraded a little bit. We've not been evolving upward. We've been sort of evolving downward. But Lucifer was going through the universe and, uh, you know, he rebelled against God and basically said, my government would be better. God did not destroy him right away, but he gave him some time to test the other creatures to see where their loyalty was. I think God warned Adam and Eve, said, now there is a, you know, there's an enemy, a fallen angel out there, and he's not going to bother you anywhere but that tree. Don't go near that tree. And anyone who touches that tree will die. And I think they'd been warned. And um, Eve was intrigued and she got closer and closer. And eventually, you know, the devil, he uh, possessed the serpent. You know, later in the Bible, the devils possessed pigs. And um, God possessed a donkey. <laughs> At one point, he spoke through a donkey. So um, anyway, uh, and I, I don't think they were in the garden. I wish I could say they enjoyed it for years before things went bad. But God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, and they were perfectly healthy. They had not had any children yet, so they probably weren't there for very long. So I don't know, Deborah, if that's helping answer your question about the timeline. I thought that Satan was cast to earth when he was thrown out of heaven. Yeah, I think that he was, you're reading in Revelation chapter 12, where it talks about Satan being cast to earth. That's looking back when, when the devil got Adam and Eve to listen to him. They surrendered dominion of the planet. And God said, look, this is the only world that has chosen to listen to you. You are now restricted to this planet. He was cast to earth. But he wasn't cast to the earth until uh, Adam and Eve had sinned. And I think the verse you're referring to is Revelation chapter 12. Yes. You know, I think this comes up also in the study called uh, Did God Create a Devil? Yeah. And uh, it talks about that. And uh, we'll send that to anyone who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. And ask the study guide, Did God Create a Devil? And you know, Pastor Doug, I'm just thinking about a DVD uh, documentary that Amazing Facts did. Um, Cosmic Conflict. Cosmic Conflict. Yeah. I think it's available on YouTube, actually. Just Somebody type in just Cosmic Conflict. In. I bet it's the first thing that comes up. Uh, right. And uh, you might enjoy uh, taking a look at that, Deborah. deals with the subject. We've got Linda listening in uh, Sacramento. Linda, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. I have a question. Um, I'm reading the little book, Spiritual Gifts, uh -huh. and and it talks about um, the angels were engaged in a battle. There was war in heaven, and the angels were engaged into a, a battle. Yes. 
how did they fight? I mean, you can't, they don't kill each other in heaven. And I know I've seen, uh, I've read where there's uh, some angels with swords. Yeah. But do they use the word of God? How do they fight? Is there anything? That's a great question, Aunt Linda. And that's actually something of a mystery. When we produced the video, Pastor Ross just referred to cosmic conflict. We tried to depict the angels in heaven fighting. And the only thing we could find, you know, it says that they, in Ezekiel 9, it says they've got a destroying weapon. It does talk in that, in Chronicles about the angel of the Lord had a drawn sword. And so we gave these angels flaming swords and it ended up looking like lightsabers in Star Wars. But, uh, you know, that's, it's hard for us to comprehend what weapons do angels use and do they wound each other? They're spirits. So it's some kind of, I think there's some things we just don't understand about what would be involved in angelic battles. But yeah, that's a great question. And you know what? I, that's one I've got on my list to ask God when I get to the kingdom is exactly what kind of weapons do angels use? They don't gr throw grenades at each other. I don't know. So the only thing we can find in the Bible is in Garden of Eden, it says an angel had a flaming sword yes, to guard the way. To guard the the way. Of life. And then of course, Revelation 12 talks about war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought and they did not prevail. So, were they pushed out of heaven? We don't know. Apparently, it doesn't seem like there were bodies scattered. Jacob all wrestled over with heaven. Jesus. Maybe they all wrestled. Maybe there was a wrestling. That <laughs> <laughs> just doesn't say. But they were driven from heaven. And of course, we don't think that the evil angels left willingly. They they had to actually yeah, be they removed. Evicted. Yeah, that's right. So good question. That's where boy, we might have to tie off this question. Well, let's get one more quick one in. All right, we've got. Uh, is it uh, Yope listening from Edmond, Washington? Yope, welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you. We got a minute. We got one minute, so let's make it real quick. Uh, okay. Um, what is the difference? Uh, first resurrection and second uh, resurrection that mentioned in Revelation twenty. Thank you very much. You did a good job. Uh, you know, Jesus says, and I think Pastor Ross, this is John chapter. Yeah, 10, the hour is coming, which all that are in the graves will hear his voice. They that have done good, the resurrection of life. They that have done evil, resurrection of damnation. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that dead in Christ rise first. That's the resurrection of life. And in Daniel 12, it tells us many of those that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, others destruction. So the first resurrection is at the beginning of the millennium. It's the resurrection of life. And at the end of the 1,000 years, you've got the resurrection of judgment. You read in Revelation 20, the rest of the dead do not live till the 1,000 years are finished. The verse you're referring to in John, in John is John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah. And um, we have a study guide on the millennium that talks about those two resurrections. We'll be happy to send you. It's called, what, 1,000 years of peace? 1,000 years of peace. You will find, if you go to our Facebook page, we've got... And it's all archived if you want to watch this program later. It's got the offer number there always on the screen for your free offers. Friends, we are uh, out of time for our questions for tonight. I think we're going to start doing a bonus question at the end of the program and that you can email us. Don't forget, next week we'll study. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, 
call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live. Honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions. Journey back through time to the center of the universe. Discover how a perfect angel transformed into Satan, the arch-villain. The birth of evil, a rebellion in heaven, a mutiny that moved to earth. Behold the creation of a beautiful new planet and the first humans. Witness the temptation in evil. Discover God's amazing plan to save his children. This is a story that involves every life on earth. Every life. The Cosmic Conflict. If God is good, if God is all-powerful, if God is love, then what went wrong? In six days, God created the heavens and the earth. For thousands of years, man has worshipped God on the seventh day of the week. Now, each week, millions of people worship on the first day. What happened? Why did God create a day of rest? Does it really matter what day we worship? Who is behind this great shift? Discover the truth behind God's law and how it was changed. Visit SabbathTruth.com. A beast, a dragon, and a woman. They sound like the characters in a fairy tale, but nothing could be further from the truth. These three symbolic end-time players are actually found in the book of Revelation, whose predictions about the last days are not exactly a bedtime story. But there is a book called The Beast, the Dragon, and the Woman, and it's a daring and concise overview of the Bible's most compelling and perplexing end-time players. And it tells about the struggle between truth and error. You'll even find out the part that America plays in these last days. If you want to be ready for the earth-shaking events yet to come, then make sure and get your copy of The Beast, the Dragon, and the Woman today. To order your copy of The Beast, the Dragon, and the Woman, call 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California.